Hey friends, how's it going? I'm Chase Jarvis. I want to welcome you to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live show here on Creative Live. You know this show. This show is where I sit down with the world's top creatives, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, and I unpack actionable and valuable insights with the, is it singular or not singular, the triumvirate goal of helping you live your dreams in career, in hobby, and in life. How's that for a GRE word? Triumvirate. Um, my guest today is the one and only W. Kamau Bell. You've, if you're like me and you, you happen to click through uh, CNN every once in a while, you've seen his picture, his mug is everywhere on CNN because they are producing a new show called The United Shades of America, where he is the host. And they don't do a lot of shows, so suffice to say, he his picture is everywhere. He is a veteran stand-up comic. Not only is he the star, but he's also the creator of that hit show on CNN, The United Shades of America. Just kicked off its second season. He also hosts some podcasts, one of which is maybe the best title of any podcast ever, which is Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time, period. Yes, that is the name of the podcast. Um, He's also the author of a best-selling book, among other things he's been a part of over the course of his career. The word prolific, I feel like, just starts to scratch the surface, and he's been involved in so many different projects in a bunch of different walks of life. I also believe he's the first comedian I've had on, which is kind of weird because I love comedy. I respect comedy for its intelligence, its wit. Not only is it funny and entertaining, but it also gets us to think differently, which is something that I value a ton as a creator and um, someone who puts a lot of value into using the old noodle. Now, one of the things I think is also interesting is that we touch on, beyond comedy, so many themes that come up on his show. The, you know, nearly universal challenges that all of us creators deal with. He talks about fear. He talks about a gazillion things that are completely in line with the core mission and vision of this show. But he got on the mainstream mainstream, um, radar just a couple years ago. Uh, He's been in this game since the 90s. When I say this game, I mean sort of pop culture, comedy, entertainment. But again, this is just another indication that this sort of 10-year-plus overnight success is the rule rather than the exception for grinding and how to make it in your industry. Um, This is literally how it works. In today's episode, we will also talk about the humble beginnings, doing open mics in coffee shops and bars where he got his first very short-lived, but it was a really cool show, actually. I was kind of bummed that they uh, canned it. You get to hear his story about that. I also love his particular take on playing through fear, another one of those things that we all experience. He shares some really candid stuff about how, despite appearing unflappable, he's a huge human. He's like six foot, I don't know, 250, six five, something like that, that despite uh, appearing unflappable, um, he says, I'm all flaps, or it's all flaps, I think. Uh, It was super fun. We all feel the stuff, and it's great to know that Kamau is in our camp. You've probably also heard me talk about the idea of create the work you want to be paid to create. And Kamau has an incredible story, among others, about how he applied this exact idea, almost to the word, to get his first TV show. So if you think I'm just out there making shit up, Kamau validates this idea to the max, and it's specifically around a relationship they had with Chris Rock. So you'll 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 be excited to hear how that all played out. Um, but I don't want to give away any more details. I want you to listen to the show. I think you're going to enjoy it very deeply. And with that, let's get into the show. But just before we do, I want to share a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Chase Jarvis Live Show is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. And right now you're saying, wait a minute, isn't that the company that you started? Yes, it is. It is my company, but they make this show possible. And if you don't know anything about Creative Live, you must check it out. It's where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best teach photo, video, art design, music and audio, craft and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of those disciplines. There is free content there, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and there's also more than 10,000 hours of content for you to access on demand. You guys know I'm a huge believer in the power of daily habits, and today Creative Live, as a part of the sponsor announcement, wants you to know that they have a new, very powerful way to make education a part of your daily routine. That would be the Creative Live iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV apps. They're all free, and they let you watch all of the Creative Life classes that are on air streaming for free, anything you already own, 
And on the iPhone and iPad apps, you can watch one daily lesson of your choosing for free. That is one of 25,000 lessons for free, which is super, <laughs> super gnarly. To get those apps, go to the App Store, uh, iTunes, and search Creative Live, or go to creativelive.com slash apps. There you go. Now, let's get into the show. That was funny. You told me. For people who are, not, who are watching, he spent a whole time do whatever you want to do. Yeah, it's like Enjoy your show yourself, as much your mine. show. So it's I true. just thought, I thought I'd do something I've seen people, other people do that I think is obnoxious. It was but, brilliant, yeah, though. Yeah, as yeah, the yeah. host, you host your own show, you know. It's yeah, like, I know how, yeah, Wait yeah. a minute. I don't even want to get off my game very often. That was impressive. Well, I'm good. Yeah. Um, new show, actually, second season of a new show. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's not as old as you know, it hasn't been on the air as long as Seinfeld or Bonanza or The Simpsons, so it's still <laughs> Just new. R- right behind. Yeah, those right shows, behind. Right? <laughs> uh, but tell them. So uh, I, I believe that the world is familiar with your work. Impressive. But no, but I'm, I'm still a niche product. I'm not. I'm not uh, mainstream or worldwide. You know. I don't know. You're all. Maybe it's because I've been tracking you, and I'm getting retargeted by all the ads for the show. Yeah, but I'm yeah, yeah. like. No, with CNN, people definitely at least see your face. Yeah. You know, it's uh, the the great thing about working at CNN, especially in the original series side. Is they don't have that many shows at one time, like they, you know. Clearly, so, they got yes, they the got, show. They got me. They got Bourdain, and they have soundtracks right now. So they only have three shows to advertise, and you know, soundtracks. The Rock is producing it, but he's not. It's not really his show. He's not hosting it. And Bourdain, everybody knows Bourdain. You got to talk right. about him too much. Right. Um, he's great, but you you just have to go. He's back, and people go, okay, I'll be there. But with me, they're like, yeah, <laughs> look at the commercial, look at this funny commercial, look at this serious commercial, look at this banner ad, look at a billboard. Ad. Like they have to really like build the thing out in a way that they don't have to do with Bourdain. With Bourdain, they just send out one tweet. He's coming back <laughs> he's this coming Sunday. Back. Excellent. Yeah. We'll all be there. Yeah, yeah. We will all be there, like we always are every week, and have been there for the last ten years. I actually heard a comparison that so if if Bourdain's bouncing around trying different. Cuisine. It's an incredible show, by the way. He's a great host. No, he he is the. I mean, that's when I was sitting at home before I ever had the show years before. I was like, I'd like to do a show like that. Like you know, so he's the, absolutely. There was a thing called the Travel Show that you know PBS and lots of stations did, but he put his personality square in the middle of it. Instead of a travel host being like, look at this, that's it's, nice. It's, instead of it's the Ink and Ruins yeah, being yeah, the hero, yeah, it's, it's Bourdain. Bourdain. Yeah. You like you just want to hang out with him. He yeah, can go like, oh, anywhere. Inca, yeah, that's in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah he can go anywhere. So, but I heard yeah. you say something. I don't know if this is true about that being. Uh, analogous to what you want to do instead of food and and destinations or parts unknown. Yeah. That yours is is topics. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's racism. It's, it's and race and culture and you culture. know. Uh, so yeah. So for me, it's like it's topic focused. It's not really like, you know, that's what we're like. And it's also about relevancy. So if your group is in the news and, and it's clear that your group is not getting to speak for themselves or getting not the shot they need, or if your group is never in the news and it's like, yeah. why aren't they ever in the news? Yeah. I sort of feel like I need to go there and talk to you and see if I can let you hand the mic to you. I mean, it's the same thing we do here. Like, I, you told me to take over my show. Yep. When I sit down with people, I go, say whatever you want to say. Yep. I will not interrupt you. I'm going to make some jokes, but they're not going to be at you. And, you know, but I want you to get your, I want you to feel like you got your story out. It's beautiful. Yeah. And talk to me about the conception of the show. Like, you sit in your room, you started going there, you sit in your room, yeah. like, I kind of want to show, like, Anthony Bourdain, or yeah. was it a, a long journey, and you had a show before that? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, I mean, it was both a long journey, and then it sort of fell in my lap. So, you know, I, so separate from United States of America or any conception of that, I would sit, you know, in my, actually, my girlfriend's house at the time, and, uh, and hang out with her roommates, and we would watch, like, Bourdain's show, and Mike Rose show Dirty Jobs, and, you know, and we would just sort of sit around, and I would watch these shows, and I would just be like, and this was way before my first show, Totally Biased, and I would just be like, I would like one of those shows, but about racism, is what I thought about it, like, sort of going around the country and sampling the racism. Yeah. So that was just my own, but then I got Totally Biased, which was like a very traditional late-night talk show, uh, like sort of like in, like in the Daily Show, Samantha Bee, yep. John Oliver style. Yeah, yeah. It's now a style, but at the time it was just like like the Daily Show sort of. And you know that lasted about a year. And when it was over, the feedback I got universally was that my best parts of it weren't the in studio stuff or the interview stuff. It was when I went out into the world and talked to people. So then I met with CNN, and when I was trying to find a job, basically I met with a bunch of people, and CNN had been pitched a show that was basically like. It was called Black Men, White America. I've told the Jimmy Fox who runs the company, I wouldn't tell this story again, but I'm telling it one last time. <laughs> one last time. It's called, this is it. This, this is, is the it. last, last time. Because he's like, yeah. Why did, that title was so bad. It's called Black Men, White America. And at that point, Can you say a, the title one more time? Black Man, White America. Okay, just, yeah. there you go. We, we made that clear. It's on the record. Yeah, <laughs> or as I call it, Black Man <laughs> and America. So the idea was that you would send a black 
person around, a black comedian around, to white places. And so when they pitched that to me, I was like, does that have to be this white place? <laughs> like, oh, I already uh. have white in-laws. I kind of know what that's like. Uh, and I just was like, because I come from the Bay Area, it's like, I would want to go to more than just white places. Yeah. So they kicked it back to Jimmy Fox. He liked that idea better. The title became, he changed the title to United Shades of America, which is a way better title. Amazing title. It's a much more unifying, it's not so divisive. Yeah. And, you know, and so then we, you know, we sort of got together and put the team together and did the first season. Yeah. And it crushed. Lots I mean, it, it, you know, luckily, the thing is about CNN is it's great. You sort of have to outdraw the news, you know, like <laughs> on Sunday nights at 10 o'clock, which is, unless something happened, right. unless there's a plane missing, yeah. you can outdraw the news, you know what I mean? So it's like, I, I fairly, uh, like, it's a huge platform, and yet it's also not like, I'm not like on NBC at 8 o'clock on Thursday where it's like, you better get yeah. 45 billion people or else yeah. this is not, you know, so for me... And it's also a very dedicated following on CNN. People who watch CNN watch it all the time. Yeah. And then also, like I always say, even if you hate CNN, eventually you're sitting in an airport waiting for your flight and it's on the TV. Yeah, you can't avoid it. You just can't. It's sort of, and then you see my face. <laughs> yeah, right, and then right. I've gotten all these cool photos of people in airport, like at airports waiting for their flight, and everybody's watching me talk to the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> like, sort of like, what is this? What is, can, I, can you turn the volume up? Exactly. I gotta hear yeah, this so, shit because it's in an airport. Yeah, you're like, yeah. ah. Yeah, so I think the fact that I look like myself, that you know, I don't look like a guy who's normally on CNN, the fact that I'm talking to people who maybe you see in small stories on CNN, but not yeah. for a long periods of time. Like we just did an episode about gang activity in Chicago this past Sunday, and it was just like, you know, you see stories on CNN about gangs or yep. the news about gangs, but not like where you go, here's the mic, you talk, and I'll just listen. Wow. Yeah. One more question about CNN. So a friend of mine, Casey Neistat, just sold, oh, yes. just him. sold his company. And so yeah. is this a trend for CNN trying to, like, are they getting after it? Is this First of all, I didn't get that deal. <laughs> <laughs> I did not get the Casey deal. Yeah. I read about that. I was like, I need to call my agent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is like, I was like, what? <laughs> and he's still showing up to work? I would be out. They would be, that would be the last. Peace. Maybe they don't have to give me that big check because... I would be done. I would be like, I'm gonna email you the all he, the rest. yeah. He worked several, he worked really hard. For no, he no, he definitely again. worked hard, and I'm not and I'm not anyway. But I was definitely like, oh, hold on a second. Oh, yeah. Hey, Wait. WME. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I, you know, good for him. And I think that the great thing is, is that maybe CNN sort of like before they had me, all the shows they had were based around people who already had shows. Yep. Like Bourdain, Lisa Ling, Morgan Spurlock, uh, Mike Rowe. You know, they were all people who had sort of had yeah. these types of shows. But then they signed me and Reza Aslan, who is like, he has a show called Believer that is also did great this season. Uh, his show just aired this earlier this year. So that was the first time they sort of created shows out of whole cloth. And so for me, I, I would like to think that in some way, the success of my show and, and Reza's show made them go, oh, maybe we should really look outside of this, of what we even conceived we could do here. So I think, yeah, no, shout out, good job. And if, but he, it's all, if he needs a producing partner. <laughs> <laughs> but how cool is it that, um, for example, that you hadn't had that or they hadn't done that before? I talk a lot about how it's you know the first time in the history of the world where a lot of the gatekeepers that have been there before are absent or looking to invite new people into the party. Well, yeah, um, I mean, you know, we're on the, we're on the internet right now. Yeah. We're on YouTube, right? Yeah. It's like this is the whole thing is that there has been... Uh, the barriers of entry have gotten a lot less uh, barrier-y. Yeah. <laughs> like, so you can just sort of like set it up. See, and, that I mean, and spoken like a true journalist. Barrier-y. Yeah, barrier That's why I yeah. don't claim yeah. journalism yeah. status. Yeah. But like for me, I look at like Issa Rae from who starts The Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl on YouTube. Incredible. She never probably would have even gotten a meeting at HBO if she had said, I have this idea about a show about me. Who are you? You know, <laughs> you know and so I'm not, their people at HBO are great, but it's just they wouldn't have probably conceived that. So she does the show. She proves that it's a thing. She writes a book based on the show, and then suddenly HBO's like, "Could you bring that over here?" You know, it's yeah. like so for me, it's like you have to sort of look at all this stuff. Is like, yes, you want to build your own brand, but also it's a it's a constant audition tape for people who have the funds to sort of like kick it up another notch. I love that you said that, and it's gonna. I'm gonna do one more dovetail before I shift gears, and that is, yeah. do you know Justin Simeon, Dear White People? Yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know him, but yeah, he's also yeah. been on the show. His story is very similar. He built and shot the pilot to a show that, uh, to a film that had never been shot. Mm -hmm. and it, was, it was like he had shot it, so he yeah. made this beautiful thing yeah. and then shopped the trailer like he had a film. Yeah. And then when he got close to the deal, he revealed that I ain't got no film. <laughs> and they found someone to finance it. He yeah. went on a bill and it was an amazing release in the theater and they just made a television show about it. So Yeah, and I mean, the thing about that, you have to realize is that this is just the 21st century version of Robert Townsend, who's a filmmaker, he is a filmmaker, but in the in the 80s, in the late 80s, 
financing his film on credit cards. Like in the, back in the day, they used to kids pay attention. They used to just send you credit cards in the mail <laughs> to get you to sign up for credit cards. So they would send you a credit card. Yeah. They, I think that's illegal now. <laughs> and I so, hope it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he would just say like, huh? And he used those credit cards to finance Hollywood Shuffle, which is basically in part responsible for the show In Living Color, which brings us the Wayans families, which brings us uh, 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 Jim Carrey. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so the idea is that this is, or Spike Lee did that, you know, is independent films, and you sort of just, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta make your own gravy. You know, there's a commercial I see back when I was a kid about it, it was about dog food that made its own gravy. You put water in it, it makes it, and I always think about that. You gotta make your own gravy. It's beautiful. It's yeah. a great line. Yeah. I'm gonna use that in the promotion of the show. Yeah. Note, make your own gravy. Make your own gravy. Um, so we got off. Well, I thought it was an interesting little tangent right there. I'm gonna bring it back okay. and make it about you. So, I mean, it feels like it's still been about me, but yeah, well, that's great. That's, yeah. that's the thing is those people think it's about them. I yeah, think it's about me. You think yeah, it's about you. Yeah, yeah. But specifically, take us back to what propelled you to pursue a career as a comedian, to pursue um, a niche where one tenth of one tenth of one tenth the people who try and make it can make it. What's your motivation? I mean, for me, I think every kid has some sort of like, you know, that initial spark of a thing they want to be. Like, you know, whether it's a fireman or, you know, I mean, at first, honestly, at first it was superhero, but that's not a job you know, like, yet till they, till they get all that HGH and human yeah. growth stuff, till they settle <laughs> that out, uh, until they really get that bionic stuff going. It's not really a job, so I was like, I can't do that. And then it was like, com comic book artist, but I couldn't draw that well. But I always loved comedy. I mean, I'm right around the same age as Saturday Night Live, so I grew up watching Saturday Night Live. And so for me, when I was a little kid, my mom said she could make me do anything if I if she promised to let me watch Saturday Night Live. So, I mean, I I'm the person who was like as a like a five year old going like it hasn't been good since the original cast. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's like, like seriously, where's Belushi? Come yeah, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, Martin, I've been like, I've, I've been hating on Saturday Night Live since before that was cool. So, uh, I mean, shout out right now, Kate McKinnon's amazing. But you know, for me, it's like it was just a thing. And then also that means that I got Eddie Murphy was on TV when he was like 19 or 20. And he just, he looked the same age as me. I mean, he was older than me. He's like 10, 15 years older than me. But I was like, this is like, like my friend who's on this show. Yeah. And so for me, Eddie Murphy was like the first like superstar that I really cared about. And, you know, followed his career. And so it was just like a thing like I want. And then I love stand-up comedy. I remember seeing Seinfeld on this night show. Uh, you know, Chris Rock, Bring the Pain, Changed My Life. I mean, I was in my 20s at that point. But yeah. it was like, it was just a thing that like I thought, and as an only child, I think there's something about being up there by yourself that I really resonated with. Like, you're just up there talking. Everybody has to pay attention. Because you know? <laughs> that's the agreement, yeah. Brilliant. So take us from not having any job, take us from not having a, from wondering how to start. I think that's one of the things that the people mm -hmm. who are watching this show or listening to it, they are enthusiastic about a thing or you know, being or becoming something that they're not today. And taking the first step is the hardest. So I love to find out what, Give us the first couple of steps. Well, I mean, for me, like I started in the '90s, so there was there was pre-internet, so you had to like, how do you start doing stand-up comedy? It was like, uh, my talking best about Nirvana friend. and Pearl Jam. Yep, and yep, right in, there, right in there, right in there. Yep, that's my that's my era. Uh, so uh, yeah, music hasn't been good since the '90s either. But uh, <laughs> I'm that guy at this age. But uh, yeah, so. A friend of mine was like, "There's a who I went to high school with. He's my best friend. Knew I wanted to do stand up comedy. He's like, there's an open mic comedy uh, thing down the street from my apartment. So if not for that, I don't know. And I was just in Chicago at the time. Maybe I would have stumbled across some other. But it was him, and it was him coming with me. Like he went with me for like a month and just watched every week. We just watched, and I sort of was like, I'll go up some week. And he just came and hung out, and then." I finally went up, and then he hung out with me. We were really good friends. He hung, like the first two years, I don't think he missed a show I did. Like he was just like wow. so. Not everybody's gonna get that, but it is about like first of all, you need a support system if you're gonna do something that is really crazy, like do stand up comedy. Yeah, uh, it's harder to do it if you don't have people who sort of are like sort of okay with the with the craziness of it. Yeah, uh, you know, my dad wasn't okay with it. He thought I dropped out of college. He thought it was bad. My mom was just like, whatever you want to do, you know. Like, so I mean, she supported me. I don't be. She was like. Really like whatever you want to do. I want to be clear. She would be upset if I diminished it. But so yeah, and then I mean, but right now, so I look at back then, like if he hadn't told me that, maybe this doesn't exist. Uh, so, but now it's so much. There's so much information available to you about how to do anything, yeah. and you have to really take advantage of that. You have to really like, you know, Google the thing and look it up and figure it out. And there's going to be some website. There's probably a YouTube video like here's how you start doing stand-up comedy. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's very clear. 
And then the thing is, you got to jump in, you know, two feet. You got to really like get in there, especially for something like stand up. If you do it once every now and again, you're never going to find out if you're any good at it or if you love it. Like, so you have to really, whatever it is, you have to really jump in and go, okay, I'm going to really dedicate some time to this. Because the thing about stand up, especially, I always say that stand up comedy doesn't actually want you to be a stand up comedian. Stand up comedy is like, we're full. <laughs> We're it's not taking yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like we don't really need anybody else. It's kind of like the sh those movies about the Shaolin Temple. I don't know if they ever existed like that, but like you just show up and sit outside a stand up comedy. And it's like we don't need that today. Can you please move? And so you have to really like go for it because there's a buzz of the sort of the that pink cloud when you start. Like I'm on stage and I'm having out with I have new friends and I got it's like a new social scene and I'm starting to get some laughs. But then at that point, it's just about failure, being like sort of being okay with failure. There are some people who come out of the box really strong. Dave Chappelle is always, I've heard he was like immediately funny, but like for most of us, you have to just sort of be okay with mostly failure for a period of time. And for everybody, it's a different length of time. And, and then you have to be okay with success that isn't really financial success. Like I had, a, I had good shows all this week, yeah. but I didn't make any money or I made very little money. I still have a day job. And you have to be okay with people like sort of condescending to what you're yeah. doing. Oh, so you're doing stand-up, right? Yeah. You're going to make hundreds. Yeah, or no, the real thing, the funny thing I find is like, oh, you do stand-up comedy. Uh, where do you perform? And if you go this coffee shop and that bar on Wednesdays, people go, oh, so you're not really a stand-up comedian. Whereas like nobody really does that with other art forms. You say you're, you know, I mean, maybe with writers, but like you don't have to prove that you're the thing. Like, And then it becomes like, oh, where do you perform? And you go, oh, I've been on TV. Oh, what station? What, oh, then you go, what station? Comedy Central. I don't have that channel. Okay, well, I don't know what to tell you. You know, so like, like it's a, people always want to sort of diminish the thing you're doing. You know, and, you know, and then it, then you get to the point where you're like, okay, now I've been on the things, I've been on enough things, I have all the credits. People, and then people are just like, I just don't think you're funny. All right, well, it's just like you know, so you Thanks. just have to be okay with like, with sort of eating and swallowing and sort of passing passing negative negativity through you because if you get caught up in it, it's hard. And the other thing you have to be okay with is you, it's important that you are your I think, this is true of me, that I'm my hardest critic. So you don't want somebody else to be a harder critic of you than you. Uh, doesn't mean that there aren't people going to criticize you from angles you weren't thinking about. I think yeah. that's one thing. You have to be open to feedback. But you really have to be real with yourself and be like, am I getting better? Was this year, was this year better than last year? And if it wasn't, what can I do to change that? So I moved from the Chicago to the Bay Area just because I was like, I'm not getting better. Like my third year, I was like, I repeated my second year. So I moved to the Bay Area. So comedy... Were you, as a kid, funny? Oh, you're so funny. I mean, were you going by W then? Do you, do no, you yeah, it was always W. That was the full name, W Kamau. That was Kamau. Uh, w is my dad's first name was Walter and my first name Walter. But So he was Walter, I was Kamau. But uh, I was funny to my mom and my good friends. I was not the class clown. I mean, my dad was totally surprised when he, I told him I was He's doing like, stand-up comedy. that kid is not funny. No, there was, he would not describe me as being funny. Lazy, you know, like, <laughs> uh, athletically not gifted, things like that. But he would not have described me as funny. So, you know, I don't think for most of my family, like my aunts and uncles and people like that, nobody was like, oh, yeah, Kamal's really funny. I, I know those people who are really funny. I've seen them, you know. Uh, you know, so I know it. I know when people. I was always prepared. I was always a little embarrassed to tell people I was a comedian for a long time because nobody was like, "You're so funny." And at some point, you you sort of do it long enough, you realize, yeah, not everybody was a class clown. Yeah, a lot of us are comedians because we're trapped in our heads and we're sort of always like thinking about things. It's not because we're like dominating the scene. I think that's really common. The same is true with me. I was a, considered myself a photographer long before I would t tell anyone else that I thought of myself as that mm -hmm. because they were like. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They always want you to prove that you're, well, where have you been published? Yeah, where I have you, a camera, I take yeah. pictures, they're nice. Like, right, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think it's a real thing for the, for the again, for the folks who are listening, that, that playing through that, obviously, is a really important part of making it. Because there's, so, maybe you can comment about this, I think stamina is critical. Like, you can, you can make whatever you need to make happen if you just outlast, like, if you're the only one left yeah, in the room. yeah, yeah. You're there, all right, the I'll put I mean, you I, on. Yeah, I mean, I read, I, I remember reading this quote from Henry Rollins. I don't know if he said it, because it's hard to know. If, you know yeah, what but, he said. And what but he was basically like, the secret is don't quit. Like, yeah. if you keep going, something's going to happen. Like, that's, that's the, and I always remember that. Yeah, just don't quit. If you quit, then you're not, you know. Jesse Jackson had that quote years ago about running for president. If you run, you might lose. If you don't run, you're guaranteed to lose. So I always feel like, those, yeah, you just have to sort of like, Make an honest effort. Be honest with yourself about the effort you're making. Am I getting better? Because you may be like, oh, I'm not really good at stand-up comedy, yeah. but maybe it leads you to be a writer or a producer or a director. But, you know, so it'd be on. But, yeah, don't quit. And there's actual action behind that. There's so many people that I see get stuck in 
like thinking about doing something and you know playing Xbox all day as opposed to doing the thing. Yeah, I mean, and comedy is really seductive. It's really easy to think that your procrastinate. It's easy to think that your procrastination, your laziness, is actually part of the process. This is getting material. Yeah, yeah. I need. To, I just need to like sort of think about things, you know. And I mean, you know, I and I know, and, and I know some comics who are who still live that way and have made it. But I think it's a testament to their talent, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, for me it was like, yeah, you better get up early and, and get to your day job and do that because you don't want to lose your job and you don't pay you don't pay your bills and you have to like. But I said, I also said no to a lot of stuff that, looking back, maybe I said no to too many things. But I always had, had a real sense of what I what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. Where did you get that sense? You know, I think it's my mom. I think it was just like be your own person, like you know, and as being an only child, sort of you only are influenced by your own influences in some sense. So like, yeah. this is how I feel and I think that's fine because nobody's telling me it's wrong. You know, I don't have that sense of like a brothers or sisters who are sort of, you know, telling you that you're not doing the right thing. And I was just pretty, I was always fine. I was always fine with being my own company. You know, like I have the friend I have who's my best friend. We've been best friends since high school and it's like just that, you know, that's enough. You know, and I have other friends and I have other good sure. friends but it's like, I'm just sort of really, uh, I've always sort of kept a pretty closed circle. Yeah, so for me it's like, being able to sort of be your own counsel, I think, is important too. For me, it was like so to just go. I know everybody thinks I should do this, but I don't think I'm going to do this. Yeah. And sometimes there's times where, like, I remember when I took the pilot for the CNN show, United Shades of America. My best friend, who I've been best friends with since high school, was like, "I don't think you should do that." He had to, he there was another offer on the table. Like, you should take the other one. And to this day, he says, like, yeah, I was wrong. You know, so for me, even though my best friend was like, that's not a good idea. I was like, yeah. I'm going to do it anyway. And, yeah. you know, so here we are. All right, I'm totally biased, yeah. but totally biased. Yep. It was a great show. It was, I, I, it was a little engine that could. <laughs> I, I, you know, that without that show, I'm not sitting here right now. Uh, true. Yeah, for me, it's just like... It, you know, it was a it was a moment in time, and I'm glad, and I learned a lot from it. You know, it's taught me a lot about how show business works. Because before that, I wasn't really in show business, and you know, I got For the to folks meet, at home. This is a show previous to United States America. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a late night talk show on FX, uh, and then FXX, and then FXX. Get the FXX out of here, and uh, yeah, Chris Rock was the executive producer. He was the one who decided to help me get a TV show. I wasn't even aimed in that direction, and. I get to meet him, and he was like my mentor, and still I can call him when I have things. We're working on a project now, but I sort of get to like that was a like I went. I feel like I went to a, like a one year long like university course in comedy and show business, and Chris Rock was my professor, and you know I always called him like foul mouth Yoda. Like it was like <laughs> he, he was filled with a lot of wisdom, but wasn't always grammatically correct, and it was filthy. Uh, yeah, so you know, so it was foul great to have Yoda. that. It was great to have him in my corner and to still and everything's happened I ran into him recently he was like and we I, was, I hadn't seen him since the show ended so it's been several years now like three years or something and he was like you know he said we talked for him and he's like thanks for making me look like I'm a good judge of talent because when the show got canceled maybe I sucked you know maybe it was just but he said you'll be fine and he was right but you know the fact that my career sort of gone on and gotten bigger it like makes him look like he knows what he's doing so I'm happy to be a part of making him look like he knows what he's doing not that he needs my help but yeah, I'm happy to sort of be a, in that sort of the Chris Rock uh, universe. Well, let's take up that question for a second. How did you find yourself in the company of Chris Rock? Because that is the dream of so, so many people out there going back to the hard work comment we are just talking about. That, oh, if I just had a break, if I just had this. And, you know, my belief in the business is that it's a, it's, you know, it's a thousand small breaks. There's usually not one big break. But mentorship is is a huge part of the game, and so how did you land that? And what what you know? Well, I think it's a you know it's like it takes yeah it takes a, a, a million little breaks, and also it takes things you think are your big break that aren't your big breaks. So. Isn't that funny? You're like yeah. oh that, I'm, I made it, and then yeah. it's just yeah you just go nobody was it did that air? I thought it was on TV. You know like I mean there's many times you think once that airs it's all going to change, right, and right. once this thing happens it's all going to be different. You know so for me the thing about the Chris Rock thing is it was a break I wasn't really looking for. Also, the other thing in comedy, once you're around for a few years, if you have any level of skill and you get any work, you're sort of around people of different levels of fame. Like, Chris is super famous, but I'd worked with Chappelle a bunch of times at that point on stand. I mean, I'd open for him to stand. So it's like, not to diminish it, but you sort of get used to the fact that you can't expect every famous person you meet or to work you with. Take wing. Yeah, you just develop. Come out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you and me. When you start, you're like, oh, I did a week with this person. I'm sure we're about to go on the road. It rarely happens. Uh... And so, like, I'd worked with a, you know, I'd worked with a, with a, a lot of people of different levels of show business, people who, have, you know, could have, did have, should have, maybe, you know. And so, at that point, 
you're not you sort of stop looking at those people to be like I can't expect them to make my career. Like it's good to know them and it's good to work with them and it's good to build relationships and maybe if they need me. You have to get like, well if they need me they'll call me. You know, if they feel like they have something that's for me or a gig that's appropriate, they'll call me. So but the thing with Chris was like I was doing this show that I'm gonna do today, the W Cloud Bell Curve ending racism in about an hour. And I knew that Chris had heard, I know people who know Chris, but again it's like showbiz is like sometimes a small circle. So yeah. I knew people who knew him. I heard from those people that he thought I was funny. But I was like, oh, cool, maybe I'll open for him someday. And then he had heard about the show, and so I was in New York one time doing the show, and after the show, he just sort of floated backstage. And it was just like, hey, man. And I had never met him before, and I was like, what Whoa. is happening? <laughs> and he talked to me about five minutes, and it was funny. He's so famous, and I've seen this happen with him a lot, that people who are in the area just sort of like coagulate around him. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Just sort of, like, yeah, they want to, or they just start doing their thing where they suddenly he's just like, there's a camera in his face taking a picture, like, and then it moves away, or people sort of step in and take a selfie without asking. It's like, it's really not something I would want to be a part of. Right, <laughs> like, you know, right. and he just sort of keeps going because he's used to it. But, you know, so it was at UCB Theater in New York City, a famous, you know, well known place that turns out a lot of talent. And he was just like, hey, man, uh, you're funny. You know, thanks for good to see you. And he disappeared. And then, a couple months later, I got a phone call, and he said, I want to help you get a TV show. And I was like, what does that even mean? And like a year or so later, we had, like, you know, maybe like a year, 13 months later, we were at a FX meeting, and we, a few months after that, we had a show. And then a year after that, it was over. <laughs> <laughs> but, in there, <laughs> but in there is a nugget that how did, you, um, how did you get his attention, or how did you find your mentor would be a, maybe a, a better, more balanced way of asking the question. But the reality is it sounds like you just went to work every day. I mean, there, I have a lot of mentors, and some people know they're my mentor, and some people just think they're good friends of mine, and some people I've never met who are my mentors. So I think a lot of it is like trying to see who else in the business is doing or has a career that you like. And so I was always aware that the people had careers that I really thought I could have were people who weren't super famous. They were people who were sort of like just doing their thing. And also were sort of their own industry. Like people sort of supported whatever they did. Like I just like you, so oh, it's a book, it's a live show, it's music, whatever it is, I'll just I'll just be there. So uh, you know, that's the kind of thing I always wanted and and that's the kind of the career I had. But like so I think that that's part of it. So those people become mentors even though you don't, you've never met them. And then there's people where it's like you just sort of working side by side with people. And some of those people in comedy, you may find yourself in a few years next to people who've been around a lot longer than you as far as like, but you're in the same place in show business because maybe they had a career and they went up and it came down or maybe this is all they want or this is all they could get. And so there's a lot of wisdom out there and you just have to sort of keep your ears open. And comics love to talk about the work and the business and share tales and gossip. And so you've got to keep your ears open. And so... You know, one of my best friends is a comedian I met like two weeks into comedy just because he was like, and he'd had, he's been at all levels of show business. He actually knows Chris too. And I got to hire him, his name is Dwayne Kennedy, on my TV show to work on the TV show with Chris. So it was this whole like circle of life yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. You said book at one point in there. Talk to me about the book. Oh, yeah. The Awkward Thoughts of W. Kamau Bell. <laughs> yeah, there's the book right here. You'll insert it yep, in here. Yeah, so it's a. Uh, it's, it's got a much longer subtitle, but I don't remember all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually going to try and remember it, but I just said, tell me about the book, so yeah, I didn't yeah. have to remember the long-ass long Tales subtitle. of a six-foot-four African-American heterosexual left-leaning cisgender asthmatic mama's boy. This is in the wrong order, I know. Black and proud, blurred, and dad and stand-up comedian. I probably left some words out, but that's the whole subtitle. It's somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that it? Yeah, somewhere. I think I got most of them. How do you land there? How do you land on that? Because it's just when you put a book together, it's like you want to, you know, again, I'm not famous, and I like words. I'm a big fan of words, so I like to put, if you, I'm like, I, I don't believe titles can be too long. Like, You're you good know. at words. Uh, I just like, I just like, I just like them. So I just, for me, it's like, I like looking at them, like the way they, they come out of your mouth. I like the way some words sound. So yeah, I just, and so for me, it was like, you know, words are the things of comedians. So for me, it was just like, I don't believe you should not describe what something is. I think, you know, there's an effort now, especially in podcasting, just the one word, like cereal. Okay, it's a great push show, but what's it about? Like, you know, like, you know, like, I mean, it's just like, I'm not, like, so I, I believe is it in like, cereal with the C. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like and, then, and, and then you go, well, it's about crime. How, how would I know that? You know, I mean, but it, it's not that that's wrong. That has worked very well for cereal, but for me, it's like, I, like my other my other podcast is Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time. Period. 
ta-da. Like, it's just like, there's no, what is it about? I just believe in the Fiona Apple school of like, put all the words in, make sure it does everything it says in the tin. So it's a book of, it's sort of part memoirs and part essays and, and, and ruminations about the current state of my life and how I got here and the current state of America and what we're going to do next, hopefully. So yeah, it's just a fun, I was sort of written in a very quick, hectic way because my life was hectic and the world was hectic and just came out uh, May 2nd. Let's shift gears into uh, your actual work of like what your the topics that you cover, why those topics. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about fear, also mm -hmm. specifically maybe in this in season one. Mm -hmm. um, you travel around the country, putting yourself in positions, like you said, trying to tell a story that needs to be told. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes in sort of harrowing positions. And one episode in particular is you go and you interview. Ku Klux Klan. Yes, yes, that happened. <laughs> Talk about. I mean, I mean, for fear me, fear and discomfort and yeah, the fear is there when you. I mean, I've you know, it's funny when people talk about the Klan episode. I had fear on this season. We did a thing where I rock climbed a wall that was probably like, oh, that was probably twenty five feet high, and I was like, ah, and I got about halfway. I was like, I'm done. So I mean, <laughs> fear. It, 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 there's lots of different types of fear, sure. and. Uh, and you know, so for me, and we had in the second, in the first season, we went to San Quentin Prison. I had fear to go into a prison. Never been to a prison before. Uh, yeah, this season we talked to uh, some members of the alt right at, at a conference they had in D.C. So it's in D.C., but it's like all these people who are like they're not fans of mine. Uh, it's white nationalists, so it's like the Klan but with suits on. And so for me, like in my life, like I'm not a per I'm not like a adrenaline junkie. I'm not like I'm not like Casey. <laughs> like I'm not yeah, trying to like right. ah. Like I'm not bungee jumping. Yeah, yeah. I'm not you know I'm not uh, extreme sporting. I'm not like like you know going to the going to the protest to start a fight. I'm not that guy. But if it's on TV, I'll bungee jump. Like I mean I feel like that's the whole point. That's my job on the show yeah. is to sort of put myself into uncomfortable situations and and to sort of see what happens and challenge myself and hopefully through that connect with people and find out things I didn't know and therefore hopefully the people watching at home didn't know. So for me, I'm like the surrogate for like, you shouldn't go to a Klan rally, nobody should go to a Klan rally, even Klansmen shouldn't. But if I go and I find somebody who will talk to me, maybe they will reveal something about themselves that people watching didn't know. So it's not that I'm like thinking like, finding out why they're racist or I'm trying to talk them out of it. It's just like, hey, we're just two people, let's talk. You know, you know if you can have that conversation and when people can, they reveal things. It doesn't mean we uh, we don't agree to agree at the end. It's like we don't really yeah. agree to Good agree. idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you <laughs> made some good said, But it is like that. if they will sit down and talk, they will expose things about themselves that people are like, I had no idea that they do these things or they believe these things. I thought I knew. There's a lot of this yeah. with my show. I think people think they know about things. And some subject you may all inside and out, but we're still going to put somebody on the show you've never heard from before. So yeah. a lot of it is like people think they know, but then they watch it and they go, I had no idea. And so for me... That's what the show's all That's part of the beauty of art, though, is you usually don't know until you go there, and mm -hmm. it's the artist's job to yeah. go there. How much do you look at that as your role is actually to go there because it's part of your uh, performance might, might be a stretch, but part of the... the I mean, it's, my, it's, in my, it's what I do best if I do anything good at all. I can't say that, but it's just like, I think for me, I, you know, and I talk about this in the book, I believe in... The, I believe in uncomfortable conversations and uncomfortable situations as a way to sort of push yourself and get to new vistas. And I believe in this country we spend a lot of time avoiding those things. And so for the show and also my stand-up work and even show, it's about like, let's just have the conversation. We're not gonna, nothing's gonna change in one conversation, but let's at least have the conversation. Maybe we can continue to have the conversation and then things can change. I feel like all the social movements in this country that have made America better were started with uncomfortable conversations. No, sorry, no, no, you can't use that word. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but it's like all the social movements that have, because that have made this country better than it was, started with people going like, "Does it make sense that black people have to ride in the back of the bus?" Like, you know, <laughs> like it's just all like, does it, like, or does it make sense that women don't have the right to vote? Is that isn't that kind of weird? Like, it's just like those are all uncomfortable conversations that are had. And they go, then some women go, "Let's go talk to the men about letting us vote." Hey, we. Don't mean to bother you, but it seems like we should vote, right? And if those guys were like, yeah, you should, all right. But then that didn't happen, so they have to keep ratcheting up the stage, and you have the women's suffragette movement, and, or the suffragette woman, the suffragette movement. And, you know, same thing with the March on Washington. It's just MLK was like, I tried to talk to you fools. <laughs> like, I tried, yeah. to, I tried to say, so we'll just all go to Washington. So for me, that's the beginning of all these things is uncomfortable conversations. Are you an action-oriented activist? Uh a person with the vision of wanting to know more and you use comedy 
to access that, or are you a comedian who is looking for material and that's welcome material? Uh, some combination. I'm a I'm a comedian. If the world was a, was a beautiful, lovely place and peace reigned supreme, I'd still be a comedian. That's my job description. It just so happens that I think because of the life, I, the parents I came from, and the and the and the, sign, and the times that we live in, that I feel like this is where my comedy belongs. There's lots of other comedians, and I love comedians so who well don't timed. talk about these things. I, you, I'm not saying every comedian has to do this way. I just feel like this is where I belong. This so, is the best jokes I write are about these things. Two questions. One, I find that, that you know, for myself and uh, for a lot of people that I've talked to that have been on the show, finding your voice is actually the hardest part mm -hmm. of creating. And you feel like you're faking it for a long time until you kind of stumble into it. Mm -hmm. So that's the first question. Tell us about that journey. And then I've got a second question. I've got to follow up to that. So tell us about the journey of finding your voice and how long did it take you and how much did you suck at it for a long time? I mean, literally, like, suck at being you. I mean, you, I, yeah, you yeah. stepped into it? Like, or no, you no, no, like, no, 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 I was. I started in 94. I was just sort of at very levels of mediocrity until about 2000. You know, some good, like, people on the scene in the Bay Area liked me. Like, I was, the clubs liked me. I, I didn't have really have a following, but I was a good comedian. But, you know, I didn't, it wasn't 100% by any stretch. And I had really good nights. I was always getting a little bit better, but I wasn't taking any sort of leaps and bounds that were that interesting. And then, so in 2007, that's 13 years in. I'd been on Comedy Central 2005 and been to Montreal Comedy, like, the the uh, New Faces Showcase in Montreal, which is supposed to be a big break. I was like, ah, it's going to be the big break. No manager, no agent, no nothing. You know, so no auditions, no anything, nothing. Nothing. And so I came back from Montreal. Did you see me? I was there. I was there, yeah. I mean, I really didn't have a good set, so I knew what would happen. It was, it was like in the middle of the set, I'm like, oh, this is not going to work. So, you know, came back. I have dealt with depression around those things. But so in 2013, I really had to chart my, I was like, okay, I'm going to, basically ask myself, what would you do if you were already famous? This isn't working. So if you could just get to the famous part, like, you're, like you've seen like Chappelle or Jon Stewart or Chris Rock or any number of people, Wanda Sykes, you know, uh, Kathy Griffin, any number of comedians, like these people are successful. What would you do if you were one of those people? I was like, I would have a TV show like The Daily Show but about racism. And that's the thing I thought to myself. And I was like, okay. And did well, you, you can't have a TV show because you're not you're not working you're not TV. On TV. <laughs> so well, then what can you do? I can rent a black box theater and do a live show and get a projector and create a PowerPoint presentation. Even though I didn't know how to do any of that, and and put it on and sell tickets and get a poster and get my friends to help and my friend's a theater producer and he'll help and will and you know and and I'll borrow a projector or trade for a projector and sort of like just sort of learning. I had to learn all that stuff on the fly and. And you know, and and learn how to write press releases and things like that. So it was like things I didn't want to do because I was like a comedian. Like I'm really just thinking about. My, I'm the artist. I'm working on my video game thing about the art. That suddenly was like, well, if you want to have a show in a theater, you need to write a press release, or you need to hire somebody. I don't have any money. Okay, I better learn how to write a press release. Uh, you, you want a projector? You need a projector. Okay, my friend has a projector. I'll trade for the projector. Okay, but how does the projector work? I have no idea. <laughs> like you know, so how does PowerPoint work? I've known. I've never opened this thing on my computer before. Let me see what happens. So. It's this thing where you suddenly start to like you start to sort of my nose sort of took me places and I was like oh okay so consequently like I sort of end up in places where they're like this where there's a lot of PowerPoint things happening and it's like like this like not this but like out there <laughs> like, wherever the, wherever oh, wherever wait, I'll be later. We're going to speak later. Okay. We're going to speak later. I just got off stage. There was PowerPoints. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, there's people doing PowerPoints and it's like mine does not look like theirs because I came I didn't come through the PowerPoint world. I came through the comedy world. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's just like you just sort of like, all right, so I, I need this, so I need to fix this. Okay, well, we need to get people to sell tickets at the door. Okay, well, how do we get people in the room? Because you're not famous. Uh, okay, it's a show about racism. Bring a friend of a different race, get in two for one. All right, so we did that. So suddenly, first night, the show's standing room only. Projectors, like, sitting on my then-girlfriend's, but now wife's lap, burning her legs because we didn't know where else to put it because we didn't <laughs> think that through. The screen is, there's a, we're doing it on the wall, but we I don't know how to, like, get out of the... The like the production screen of the PowerPoint, so it's all like screwed up, and you can, it's like we didn't know how to do any of that, and so it's not working very well. And I did like over an hour, even though I'd never really done that long on stage before. And suddenly at the end, I get like it's just like the best I've ever felt as a comedian. I was like, okay, I do more of this, and so it was really just like I said, like realizing, okay, the things I'm doing aren't working. I'm not getting ahead enough. I'm seeing friends of mine pass me by, which doesn't they should get their yeah, it's success. Not it's not competitive, also. but it's just like I feel like I'm. Like I'm not getting all everything out of my talent, and I feel like I'm not the, the way I'm doing it is not going to get everything out of my talent. So I stepped out of the, out of the comedy clubs for a while and went to theaters, and sort of that's the show that Chris Rock saw that led to Totally Biased. I mean, it took like from 2007, Chris Rock didn't see it until 2010, 
and then it went on FX 2012. So it's like we're talking about five years, but you know, <laughs> but incredible. but really like 15. You know, like what is that? Like almost 20 years by the time I got the show. So yeah, it's just a, you know, it's nobody sort of knows that, but they just sort of see like, oh, he met Chris Rock a year ago, and now he's got a TV show. Where did, how did that happen? <laughs> you know, like right. so that the the narrative doesn't look as long as it is. For sure, it's a classic 10-year overnight success. Right? Yeah, yeah, You've been yeah. grinding in your parents' basement yeah. and making shit happen. And yeah. One of the things that I'm going to, I'm going to put some words in your mouth. You can, you can tell me if I'm doing so errantly, but that you saw what success looked like. You said famous, but then you changed it to success, and I think that's what you yeah. did. I saw what success looked like, and you deconstructed. You said, oh, it's a television show. And you said, well, I don't got a television show, so what do I got? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got these. I got some rubber bands. I got some yeah, strings. Exactly, yeah, yeah. I got some friends. Yeah, I got some friends. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. friend have a projector. And so you're literally mimicking or imitating what you see. And mm -hmm. when you... But doing it on the level I can do it. Right. And ironically, this is the part that I think is beautiful, is that that becomes... Those are your constraints. And your constraints can contribute to your style. It's what can you do with what you have? No, I mean it's the it's like you know there's lots of things like that like why are, why do why are things the way they are because that's all the people had at the time to do the thing like you know like yeah. like you know uh, on some level you know whatever the blues yeah the blues is a great example yeah. I was thinking about like food like black people don't go let's only eat the feet of the pig like we just sort of go like that's all we got left what can we do with this let's pickle them first of all you know what I mean like it's just that you sort of like and then suddenly it's like people are like you know now you go into fancy restaurants and they have they call them trotters you know what I mean like so it just becomes a thing where suddenly they you know that becomes a delicacy but that's right you know for me it's like that thing where you just have the the, the restraints actually can help you sort of create the art because if you have a completely blank canvas and unlimited funds you know that doesn't, that Hollywood does that all the time. It yeah. doesn't. It doesn't work out yeah. all, that often. You know. So the other point, hey, that was beautiful. Thank you so much. The other point was uh, was a little bit around fear, but also about revealing yourself and finding mm -hmm. some answers in here and being vulnerable. What to that point? What is something about you that people don't know that if they did know, they would be really surprised? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> when this turned into therapy, uh, we're not broadcasting, right? This part's being cut for. Uh, uh, this is gonna be. This is gonna be your takeaway. No, no, I'm just not. No, 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 no. I'm trying to think what to, what do people because I'm I talk about a lot of things. And there's things. Here's the thing. There's certain things that I hope they never find out because it's none of their business. So I mean, it's like to sure. be quite honest. There's things where you're like, that's between me and my wife. Uh, uh, you know, like, so like you know, as much as I think it's fun to be an open book, and I've tried to be as open about a lot of the things as I. As I can be, I, you know. And you know, I'm not trying to pry. No, 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 I know, I know, I know. I'm just trying to think of things. I don't but know. In like this I, context, this world right here, what no, we're no, talking no. about, like. People I mean, like, I think that, like. I mean, I think the thing is, like, I think I get a lot of credit for being sort of like sort of unflappable, like in these situations, and yet in my mind, it's all flaps. Like I'm just like, oh, like I like you know, if I'm talking to my wife, I can let it all hang out and be like, oh, and she sees yeah. it. It's like, and I go, all right, I gotta go to the show. Hey, clans hey. members, you know what I mean? Like, it, but it's a lot of like. You know, I get scared, I get nervous, I think it's stupid, I think I'm going to fail, I think that I've made bad choices. The phrase, whose idea is this, goes through my head a lot right before I go on stage. Like, I'm going to do that downstairs because it's like, we're outside, what is this? Uh, yeah, so I think that people don't realize in how Salt much Lake time... In Salt Lake City. In Salt Lake City. <laughs> I don't think people realize how much time I spend thinking about failure and the possibility of it happening. And a lot of times people go, that means you're pessimistic. And then I was like, well, yeah, I don't know. But for me, I remember seeing the movie Ghost Dog years ago, and it's, you know... It's like a sort of a modern era samurai movie and Forrest Whitaker's in it. And he talks about the samurai code, which I don't know if it's true, but it was in the movie, so. It must be. But uh, the idea that like samurais have to imagine their worst defeat in order to sort of be prepared for victory. And I'm like, oh, that's what I'm doing. Because I really am like, I'm trying to imagine, I sort of spend a lot of time in my head sitting with failure and thinking about failure and, and anticipating failure. For me, which makes it so that sort of like when success comes, it's like, first of all, it's sweeter, but also like, it's, it's, you don't get blindsided by things. Like, now often, the thing that blindsides me is the thing I didn't, I was like, oh, I didn't cover that angle. I didn't think about that type of failure. But for me, it's just like, therefore, criticism sort of feels like, yeah, of course I can be criticized. I've already thought of it. Like, you know, or like, or I didn't, oh, I didn't think of that angle, but I knew I could be criticized. So for me, it's like, you know, spending time dealing with, in my mind, it's like a, 
you know, it's like a, you know, people think it's all under control, but in my house, it's like a, it's a, in my brain, it's a mess. It's like, it's like my room when I was a kid, it's just a mess. And I'm just constantly searching for things like, where did that go? Why is that here? Whose idea was this? And the windows are all open, the doors are slamming open and shut. There's a, dra you know, it's a whole, <laughs> so it's a middle of a hurricane in my head, but it's sort of like, I have to sort of like, when I go on stage, get to the eye of the storm. New season, started yep. last month. Yep. Um, how you feel about it? What's in store? Good. I mean, I feel like that the first season was great, and I did work. There's going to be work in the first season that I think about for the rest of my life, and I think that I'll be associated with and I'll be proud of. But, like, the way I started thinking about it is the first season was, like, the mixtape, and this is, like, the album. So, you know, this just feels like the first season, a lot of the crew, you don't, everybody starts to figure out what the show is, and a lot of times people have different ideas of what the show is, and yeah. a lot of times there's friction around that. This season... We, we hired some new people. We knew what the show was, and I think that like if we get to a third season, we'll even they will know how to make it really good. Like I think yeah. we, I'm really proud of the work this season. I just think that we're sort of constantly like it's like I was thinking of like sculptors. Like the first season, you're sort of like just trying to make it look like something. Like yeah. kind of is that a like, head or a yeah, duck? Yeah, 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 yeah. And the second season's like, oh, it's it's it's. I can see it's a man sitting with this like this. But now the third season, you're like, oh, fingernails. You know, like and then fourth season, like got all the hairs. You know, and then. And then, uh, yeah, so it's just like, I feel like that's where we're at. Like, the, we, it finally looks like a sculpture of a, of a, of a, of a thinker, but it's, it's still, there's more detail to put in. But yeah, this season, we like, you know, we, we're talking about all the things this country needs to talk about. So we, immigrants and refugees, uh, the crime, uh, gang violence in Chicago, uh, talking about, we have an episode about Standing Rock and native issues in this country, an episode about uh, Muslims in America and small town America. Episode about uh, Puerto Rico, you know, because it's like a, this thing. It's, a, it's like sort of this part of America that we don't think about enough. Most of us Puerto Ricans do. And uh, I have an episode about w whether I should buy a gun to protect my family. So things that are like you know things that I'm thinking about in the country, thinking about. We're trying to put on CNN. So, uh, Sundays at ten o'clock. Sundays at ten o'clock. Yeah. Thank you very, very much for your time. Thanks, man. man. I appreciate, appreciate it. it. Appreciate I'm it. gonna be standing in the front row. Yeah, all right. Let's do like, it. That's kind of weird. Why yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> you're like, you're, why are you in Salt Lake City in the front row? And then, yeah. good luck tonight. You're gonna Thank crush you. it. Thanks, Thanks again. man. And uh, we'll see you again probably tomorrow. It's a full circle. Right there. <laughs> full circle. Full we did. circle. Circle of life. Bye. All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I want to say, A, a huge thank you. B, let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet. On Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it. If that's a platform that you enjoy, uh, check me out there. As well as all the other ones. It's a super important ask for you to share this also. Uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, and or Stitcher. And most definitely, if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra juice, please leave a review on iTunes. That helps make our podcast more visible. Last place that you can check it out and, and get some additional value is in my newsletter, which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP. That is where I put content out before it hits my social platforms. So that's sort of the insider track. Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.